You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Something interesting also happened while I was there. The Lord uh, spoke to me, and uh, in the middle of the night, lately it's been uh, strange hours that God seems to be keeping in His times of conversations, and there's this time that keeps popping up, 3 a.m., and I'm talking to people a lot. 3 a.m., they're waking up. And um, at first I thought, well, you know, 3 a.m., it's just usually about the time your bladder is ready uh, to do something. But it's more than that. And it happened to me in Cambodia. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. The Lord uh, spoke to me and said, I, I want to tell you something. And I said, okay. And he says, I want to tell you that men, people in life, in our relationships, there, there are problems at times and difficulties. And men are men, but I'm not man. He said, that's a strange thing for the Lord to tell you in the middle of the night. He said, I'm not man. And he said, there's things I will never do that man might do, but I will never do. And he said, quickly write these down. And I, I got up in the middle of the night, and, and I took my phone, and, you know, that's how we write down there, of course. took my phone, and I put a message to myself, and I don't like any of those message things. I mean, I literally send messages to myself. That's how I make notes. So I, I made the message, and he told me seven things very quickly. Uh, less than 30 seconds. And as quick as I could type, I typed down all seven things. And as he was telling me each of the seven, wow, you know, my lights were coming on with scriptures and ideas of what the Lord means. And this, the title of this message is simply, Jesus does not. And because that's what he told me. I'm going to tell you what I don't do. And Jesus ministered to me and spoke to me. And as I listened, as we listened to, I want you to consider two angles from this. That this is something that we can see about the greatness of our God, about the greatness of Jesus and what He does, His fidelity toward us, His love toward us, so we can use it as a point of, of adoration to Him, thanks and praise for all that He does for us. But it also is, each of these things we're going to look at is contrasted by what man commonly does, what we all are guilty of at times, and how we are learning and growing. And I want to start an introduction with Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is one of my favorite passages because we see here that Jesus is inviting us all to a relationship with him that is not like any other relationship we've ever had, and nor will ever be. Uh, our relationship with Jesus is uniquely and perfectly crafted in the way that Jesus is, His personality, His characteristics. We want to be like Jesus, we emulate Jesus, we yield to the Spirit of God. If we walk by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will come with us, which means the personality of Christ will shine through us. But ultimately, these are choices that we take in life, and one of the choices that we can make at this point is to accept this partnership, uh, which is really not an equal yoke, because the yoke that it's talking about is a physical device that would connect the two animals. You all know what a yoke is, and the yoke they would put on oxen, these big beasts of burden that would be used to do work in fields, and it was common practice that when a young ox was born and raised, it would have to be trained to be able to work with this equipment. But 
a young ox is very attached to its mother. And the mother is a big beast of burden that is quite capable. They also milk is taken and has babies, but this animal is used to bear the weight of whatever equipment that it is using and it plows the field. Well, they connect the small animal with its mother often in training so the animal will be by its mother but then also become uh, used to being connected with this yoke to another ox. Now, little by little, of course, that ox grows and grows and gets stronger and bigger and bigger. Now it is, it is conditioned to walk this, this constant path in work, yielding to that. But it's interesting that during the time of development and growth, that little animal is not at all capable of bearing the, the weight that it's pulling. It thinks it is. And this is like, I heard it explained like this one time, it's like a confidence-building exercise to this small animal, to believe that it can do this. And when Jesus mentions very specifically a yoke, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about a connection like this with him. The fellowship of the Spirit, the koinonia with him, is sharing. But of course we know that he, he is much more capable, much more powerful. He carries everything. And you know, we've all seen footprints in the sand. And we know that in our weakest times in life, it's not that he abandons us, and that's why there's only one set of footprints, but it's because he's carrying us. I'm sure you've seen that on someone's bathroom wall or something. I mean, it's virtually in every Christian home out there. I've seen elaborate versions of it. I saw one made of metal, solid steel plaque with the little footprints engraved in it. And uh, I touched the footprints and looked at it. But we connect with Jesus. We take his yoke upon us. And he speaks a little bit about his own nature here when he says, because I am gentle and humble in heart. And when I was thinking about this, because it's a comparative of what men commonly do versus what Jesus uh, does not do, we find that he's saying here, take my yoke, in other words, not another yoke, uh, learn from me. You've already learned a lot from people, but learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So as we, look, we consider this contrast, we're going to see seven things he does not do to us. Jesus. This is exactly, and I, I did not change these things at all. Exactly as he spoke to me at 3 a.m., and I typed down, this is exactly what I'm telling you. And the first one, number one, is uh, he does not expose us. Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Now we start off with this idea when he told me, I, I'm, I'm not going to expose anyone. In other words, he, he loves, he protects, he covers. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Men like to, to uncover things. Man has a way of uncovering things because of really personal gain. Uh, if there's something to be to be gained from us exposing someone else or someone else's weakness or someone else's problems, then sometimes we do that because we're looking to step on people to get up or grow. That's why that's why there's gossip. Gossip is built on that concept of being able to hear something about someone and then telling someone else so that you can feel better, appear better. Or I heard it once said that that's why we like to read the, the smut 
and the tabloids about the horrible atrocities of the likes of Paris Hilton or you know these uh, uh, Katy Perry or all these individuals we like to read oh this is horrible we point to it because we want to feel good about ourselves we want a standard that's so bad that our badness is no longer quite so bad we feel better we feel justified we're at least we're not that at least we don't do that but all of that is built that whole industry of gossip is built on that concept and it says that, uh, that the, it, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. In other words, men, people will uncover. But Jesus is not like that. This is what he was telling me. He says, I don't, I don't do that. And we see the story about Shem and Japheth and their brother Ham. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Now, let me stop you for a moment before you judge this man. Uh, he just spent, uh, you know, more than 40 days inside, actually 40 plus to 40, like, like a few months in a giant wooden box with every animal in that box. And uh, if anybody needed to drink at that point, it would be him. Not to mention decades of having built this big box with no real guarantee that it would ever have been of any advantage because it had never rained. But he obeyed God. And now at this time, which by the way, this is a good man. Noah's a very good man. That's why Noah was chosen to do the ark. It says he was a, he was a righteous man. He was just. He had favor with God. And God chose him because he's a good man. But good men do things sometimes that might not seem so good. And that's exactly what happens. Now Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. So here Ham has a choice to cover or expose but he exposes. And Shem and Japheth, after they heard the news, the gossip of the first son, Ham, they took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. And when Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. Now, of course, God empowered Noah to do this. Noah had the authority. Noah did wrong. But it really wasn't right or wrong because there's always going to be problems in people's lives. But how do we deal with those problems when we come to know them? I have had opportunities to expose people. I've had opportunities to expose enemies. And it was really ideal that after people had wronged me in the past, I found out some juicy secrets. And I could have easily mentioned those things to defame them so that I could whip someone else say, Aha! I knew it. But instead, I made choices. Because I know if you start going down that path of being an exposer instead of a coverer, then you end up like Ham. And Ham is exiled and thrown out. And it's not the nature of Christ. It's what Jesus doesn't do. He does not expose. That's the first one he told me. And it was really interesting to study, think about moments in my life. And as I, as I went through all of these things, because after he told me, I wrote it down, and I tried to go back to sleep. But now, all seven things are, are revolving in my mind as I laid on the bed. And as I went through each one, I really become very retrospective, introspective, looking inside and looking back into the past of any, if I, if I, am I guilty of exposing someone in my past? 
And if so, any, any instance I can think of, of course, I told the Lord, I apologize for that if I ever have. But honestly, I have worked very hard to try to protect and cover and love. But it is the nature of man to do that, but not Jesus. Jesus will never do that. I mean, that's a good feeling to have a Savior like Jesus because Jesus is never going to come. He's always going to be there protecting you. He's always going to uh, not even notice things. He's going to put the garment on and walk backwards so he doesn't have to eat. He wants to cover. He wants to separate you from whatever wrongs as far as the east is from the west. And he wants to make you holy by his proclamation, his declaration, and lead you in that path. Amen? I mean, be glad Jesus does that. Now the next one, number two, uh, Jesus does not condemn us. The teachers of the law, John 8, 31, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now here they're mentioning the law because the law was a fact. The law was absolute. So they said it was absolute. In actuality, they developed a series of traditions that would nullify certain laws. They picked and chose laws that were convenient for them, which is the problem with condemnation. That's why the Bible says you are inexcusable if you condemn someone or judge someone when you're doing really something that is also worthy of condemnation yourself. You sow seed so So Jesus had a real issue concerning condemnation. And he did not do it. He did not walk around condemning anyone. And this is the classic example of his response to an invitation to join the party to condemn this guilty woman who is guilty. She has broken the law, and the law is right, and they are, they actually have the legal right to do exactly what they want. They want to kill this woman. They want to stone her to death. And they were using this question as a trap because they knew in approaching Jesus, this is absolutely the law. If he does not comply with us, then he's breaking the law. And he is not a prophet, and he's not of God. That, they're always looking for some way to do that to Jesus. So they did in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her again. He stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And you say, well, why the older ones first? Because the longer you live, the more mistakes you make and the more skeletons you have in your closet. So the first ones, the greatest guilt would go to the ones that have made the most mistakes. Young Christians, they didn't, you just haven't had enough time to mess up enough stuff. Give it some time. You're going to make some serious errors and some serious issues through your life. That's why the older ones, oh yeah, well, he's right. And now just Jesus is left there with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And here he's not condemning at all. Man seems to love condemning people. I mean, we rejoice to see people pay for their wrongdoing. There's a certain feeling that we get uh, a vindication in our hearts when we see someone that did wrong get punished. And there's expressions. My mother used to teach, you know, every dog gets his day. 
and you know all these ideas that that wood comes around goes around uh, goes around comes around I remember all these expressions my mother actually always had a mentality like that but she also had issues and we all had issues but the fact is that although man likes it this Jesus will never do that he does not condemn in any way and I'm, I mean we draw clear distinctions between right and wrong and really when we do that we're setting ourselves up for disaster as we approach a relationship with Jesus because Jesus's relationship is built on one thing I tell you what you don't judge and I won't judge Jesus does he already made a plan not to condemn and not to judge anyone the judgment is the process that leads to a sentence of condemnation that the person has no way out. We, we even learn about that in the program, in the core, about the difference between God's conviction versus His condemnation. This is a good message to connect to that teaching. That Jesus is never going to... Even when all evidence is against this woman, Jesus doesn't side with it. Even when the law is on the side of the people to do this, Jesus does not side with it. Jesus does exactly what the Father sent him to do in a representation of the love and mercy of God. And I thank God that Jesus is like that, even though she's 100% guilty. And by the way, Jesus was also called the Lord of the Sabbath, which means he wrote the law to begin with. And it is his choice to do whatever he wants with the law. We say, well, he can't break his own law. He most certainly can break his own law. He wrote it. It'd be like George Lucas deciding to change the storyline of Star Wars. He'd do whatever he wants to do. It's his story. He wrote it. He owns it. Well, actually, Disney owns it now. But, you know what I mean. Jesus wrote the law. He changed. He does everything. I think uh, Romans 8, 1 through 4, very, very commonly read passage of Scripture concerning this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because... Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh. So really He came, Jesus condemned condemnation. He condemned the whole process in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's exactly what we do. Because Jesus, if we first saw, He's not exposing anyone. He's also not condemning anyone. And I, I have also had opportunities, and I've been tempted to condemn. I've been, you know, I, I sometimes, like I say, we have that vindictive mentality. That we want to see someone pay for something. Be very careful with your mind. Don't let it, it says we have the mind of Christ. If we choose to yield to the mind of Christ, if we have the Spirit of the living God in us, if we're not thinking that way, then that is not coming from the resources of God. That's not coming from the pool of His heavenly water. That's coming from your flesh. It's coming from the human mind, which is an enemy against God's Spirit to begin with. It will give us these feelings and these ideas. We need to abandon those things and yield to the Spirit of Christ. Number three, He will never leave us alone. Deuteronomy 31, 6, very popular scripture. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Of course, this is God speaking to the Israelites as they were going into the promised land to take possession in Canaan. And he was telling them, you don't have to worry about anything. Although there's an enemy, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. And it's true. Jesus will never forsake us. Matthew 28, 18, he says... 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So really the reality of our lives in Christ gives us access to Him at all times. Because we have the Spirit of God, we can never not be with Him. So really the fulfillment of this is easy for Him because He will always be with us. He's never going to abandon us. But man is pretty good at abandoning each other. Man has a tendency to um, draw certain lines in the sand and, and goes and breaks things. So in other words, the, the relationships are easily broken. Promises are easily not kept. It's amazing how people change their mind over a short period of time. It's amazing how people will rebrand certain pacts and promises that were made in the past so that they are not obligated to have to obey it. And this is exactly the same kind of thing the Pharisees did when they were rewriting the law. An agreement was made and they breached that agreement so that they can justify their, their desires for what they want. I found that the root of all these things and the key to the scripture in the introduction, it says that I am gentle and humble of heart. It is the antithesis of pride. Uh, Jesus was not looking to, to preserve himself or protect himself. He was here as a sacrifice. He laid everything down. It did not matter. And his humility was absolute. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He came down as God and became man. And that same way, when, when we are not acting like Jesus in this regard, it's because we are trying to maintain something or do something. This causes, of course, hurts in people's souls. And, if, if, and this is the problem. If we are fixated on humans... This will, we will always feel abandoned. Because humans are bound to do I had uh, Vita Dunbar, who is uh, like a spiritual mother to me, who was Ken Dunbar's wife, years ago. I remember she, she said, she was speaking to Barbara and myself, and back then we were young and, and listened to about half of what was being said, but it's amazing how many things they said make a lot more sense now that we're older. And she said that you have to be careful not to put people on a pedestal. She said, we have this tendency to put people on pedestals. And every relationship we have like a benchmark or a standard and we exalt people, especially people who are uh, leaders or Christians, you know, we, we hold them to a higher standard. And I get that and understand that, but this is the problem with a pedestal. Uh, man will always fall off. And she said that in reference to her own husband, our beloved pastor. In fact, it was offensive when I heard it. Because I thought, not, not Ken, not Brother Ken. Brother Ken is the greatest guy on earth. I mean, there was Jesus, and then there's little Jesus named Ken Dunbar. I mean, I really respected him. Man of God, you know, I love, and I still loved him, and still love him. Now, he's in heaven. Uh, he, he doesn't really need my love right now, but he's, he's fine. But I loved him. So when she said that, I remember being offended. She said, well, you know, he was on, I, I put him on a pedestal, and he fell off. I said, no, that's not possible. And that was when she turned to Barbara and said, he, He's going to fall off that pedestal about me, which offended me even more. I'm like, what? I will never fall off the pedestal. You know, but we don't belong on a pedestal is my point. And really, we do a disservice to people in relationships when we put them high. No one belongs up there. Only Jesus has the right to be in a high place. Only Jesus can truly be trusted because he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never break a promise. 
He will never, he's not a man that he would lie. It is impossible for him to break his word. Will always be Jesus. Every man is guaranteed to break their promise. You understand? There's not, well, some break promises and some don't. No, everybody, every human is going to break their promise. Every human is going to make a mistake. And the problem that happens here, and why it's so hard for us to walk through these tests, is because we exalt people and we put them in a place we shouldn't put them. I, I think of it from a leadership perspective. If you're a pastor and you allow people to put you on a pedestal, that's your error as much as it is theirs. Because sometimes when people are exalting you, it feels so good you allow the exaltation. That's where we need to be very cautious. When someone comes, gives you praise, says, make sure you always retort, not with false humility, but with fact. I'm nothing. He's everything. You don't know me. I, I, I often tell people because they have these ideas about who and what I am and how I think. And I, You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. Now, you have no idea what's in my heart and my mind. If, if you could really see the inside of my whole being just for a moment, you'd probably walk away shrieking. Ah! It would be horrible. Why? Because that is what we are. Every man. But we have Jesus. And Jesus is always good. And He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And when we see man as our source, well, we're always going to be feeling a man. That's why people suffer. That's why you get the people that are complaining because so-and-so did such-and-such. And why? Because they did a disservice to those people and put them in a place. And all my leaders, all the people I've known through the years, everyone I've ever exalted, they've fallen down. But I, I've learned to be like Jesus and think I should not do that. And I don't put, I'm not going to put anyone in, the, in a higher position. I'm going to put Jesus up there where he belongs. And I'm going to live my life in that concept. The next thing he told me as I was laying there was this, and I typed it. Uh, Jesus never puts himself first. And this one I had to think about a little bit. Because we know the scripture, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I thought, but Jesus is first. Yeah, but he doesn't put himself first, ever. He always puts himself last. He always chooses the low. He takes upon himself the form of a servant. He demonstrated it in a practical way by dressing like a slave and washing the feet of the disciples. But I realize he has to be first. And that means that is incumbent upon us. We are the ones responsible to put Jesus first, to seek first his kingdom. Jesus will never put himself, but we have to. That means every time I wake up every morning, I have to make sure that Jesus knows that He's first in my life. And you think, well, He already knows that. Yeah, well, you know, your wife already knows you love her, so you don't have to tell her anymore. No, that, that marriage will not last very long. You have to express love. You have to express love. Right. He said, Amen. Because He's loved. He's in a, he, he had a little baby's loved on every angle. We're attacking with love all the time. He's a fun little guy. But we express it. We tell Jesus every day, you are first. You are the highest. I go on rants telling him, ah, Jesus, I want you to understand that I know there is none higher than you. There's no one higher, no one greater, no one like our God. We just sang it. You are in the highest position. I put you first today. Whatever you want, whether I like it or not, I'll do that. Whatever you say, I will do that. Whether it's comfortable, uncomfortable, it does not matter. You are first. You have every right, privilege, and, and I know you will not, you will never usurp that position, but I'm telling you, that is your right. And if you command me, you will not, because he doesn't command us like that. Once again, 
And we'll see a little bit more of that in one of the other things he told me about himself and his relationship with us. But we go on now to number five. Jesus does not look for your weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This is Paul writing about a rather controversial passage that theologians differ in their opinions about this. It says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And this is Paul understanding this fact. Jesus is never going to look for our weaknesses. In fact, he overlooks all of our weaknesses. And some of those weaknesses are really somewhat his responsibility. In other words, like Paul is writing, a messenger of Satan, we've already seen recently in various messages that Satan has to work for God. He has no other choice. He, that's why he had to report concerning Job. That's why he, he, he decided he had to. The Father wanted him to sift the disciples like wheat. It's always a process. Same process, and, and Paul had one too. I don't know who your messenger of Satan is in your life, but you've got one, I promise you. If you think you don't, it's just not showing up yet. It's this thing in your life that you just can't conquer. No matter how hard you try, no matter how desperate you can't fast it out, you can't pray it out, you can't get over it. No matter how hard you try and plead and beg, it's this issue that is always just part of your character, who you are. And you try and you vow and you decide and it just it's like this thing keeps coming back. Now, some theologians say, actually, Paul's talking about an eye disease, which I don't like because uh, it's possible. Because remember, he sold the, them in the church. He said, if it were possible, you would tear out your own eyes and give them to me about certain things he was going through with his eyes. And, it, and we, we pieced that together. But I, I don't think so. I think I like to leave it like this. And it's so not specific because I believe it's God leaving us blank spaces to fill in when we have an issue. And knowing, okay, I can't get over this problem. I can't get past this. I can't. There are a few times in my Christian life where I decided I could not be a Christian because of issues in my life. And literally was making the choice to not be a part of the church, not be a part of the kingdom of God. I'm not, I'm not able, I'm not eligible because of my weakness. Presupposing that my weakness had something to do with God's acceptance of me, which is a lie from the accuser of the brethren. And that's what Paul's talking about, I believe. And that's the Lord's message to everyone, because Jesus does not look for your weaknesses. He looks over your weakness. In fact, He'll take your lemons and make lemonade. He'll take the worst sour thing about you and make it sweet and wonderful and even profitable. He'll take your problems and he will exploit your issues to bring success to you, which really makes your mind do flips in your head how it's even possible, but that's how powerful he is because his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. And I have found this to be true. The more someone brags and boasts, the less anointed they become, in my opinion. 
And the more they are honest and open and humble, the greater the Spirit abides upon them and then consequently through them. I've, I've heard, I'm always amazed at the humility of, in fact, some of the most anointed people I've ever heard, either on tape or read books. Uh, Catherine Coleman, I always mention, her humility was legendary. The way she spoke, she did not see herself as anything. She would start talking about herself, and it was always with disparaging remarks about how she's not this and she's not that, and I was never anything. I'm just a girl. And when she she honestly meant it, and as a result, that weakness, that that acceptance, and she I heard her say once, you know, everybody thinks I'm so strong, but I'm actually very weak. And when I and she talked about times that she just cries in a corner in the time, and I thought, there's no way this woman of God, one of the most powerful women. No, but that was the whole reason why she was so anointed. Because that desperation of an understanding of her weakness is what caused her to go to Jesus. And Jesus, instead of judging the weakness, just ignores it and pretends it's not there and becomes strong through it. I thank God that Jesus does not look for my weaknesses. He's a wonderful king. And I'm grateful to him. However, man, man, gosh, they find you have a weakness, they are going to use it. Whatever it is, when they find some weakness in your life, they look so crafty. They rub their hands. Aha! I found a problem. And they will exploit it. They would, by nature, whether they know what they're doing or not, man just seems to try to find weaknesses. Man is kind of like a predatory animal, like the lion that sits in the, behind in the grass, in the tree line, and watches the antelope and waits for the weak, the one that shows any form of weakness. It's looking for weakness. And Satan is like the Bible even calls him like a lion that's prowling and looking. And that's exactly what the, that animal is looking for. And that's exactly what some... If men are predatory like that, because of control, manipulation, and pride, they will look for your weakness. And we know that happens in the world. That's where blackmail comes down to. They find a weakness. They have it. They actually do all these things. They expose it. They condemn you. And they come all the way down. It's like this is it's very clear when Jesus told me all this. I realized, wow, you just told us the antithesis of humanity. And that's exactly what it is. God is so good and I'm glad. I'm glad that he's my savior and that I'm under his direction. The sixth thing he told me, he'll never force you to do anything. He says, son, I'll never force you to do anything. Mark 16, we see that after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, He was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And they were given a mission. They went and did it. It says the Lord worked with them, confirmed His word by signs that accompanied it. Now, see, Jesus works with us. He does not work us. There's a big difference. Jesus does not use you in that respect. And bark orders at you. In fact, Jesus deals with this with suggestions. The Holy Spirit's ministry in our life is built entirely upon suggestions, conviction, recommendations. He's more like Jethro when he comes, was to Moses. Just he whispers some things and tells you, know, it'd be good if... And then we have a choice. If we're waiting for Jesus to force us and command us, he will never do that. Often people say the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. It's an absolute fact. The Holy Spirit is never going to force you. And if, if you have even the smallest amount of ability to resist 
the suggestions or the convictions, he will always back away and leave you there. Of course, you will decay slowly and suffer because of the weakness in your life. It'll get worse and worse and worse to the finally you reaches the point where it's destructive and you're suffering and then you turn to him. And one thing I love about him too is he never says, I told you so. He just says, okay, all right, you ready now? Okay. He never forces us. Never forces us. This is how he works. Matthew uh, 23. It says, oh, let's look at Jesus' heart toward us. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You were not willing. And it's, that's sad. They're not willing. When someone's not willing, there's nothing God can do. Not even Almighty God can do something in the man that is not willing. This is Jesus saying from an eternal perspective, years before Jesus was ever on earth, He's speaking from the perspective of His God nature. When He longed as the Father, longed, and wondered to just bring everyone under his care, but they weren't willing. He tried, but they weren't willing. Why couldn't he just force everybody to do whatever he wants to do? Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of In other words, to say the phrase, You are most welcome in my life. Until we get to the point where we can say, welcome, Spirit of the Lord. Welcome, do whatever you want. He, can, he will convict you all day long, but He will never force you. He will not let you rest in the sense of give you a, a lie and tell you, no, it's okay. If there's something wrong, it'll always be there. He will always kind of, uh, He's so subtle, it's like He's looking at you, and let's say that you have two different colored socks on. He looks at you and He smiles, and His eyes just dart down and look at those socks. And, but he doesn't mention it. He just looks at the socks. And you know he's looking at the socks and you hide one sock behind the other sock. I'm using this as a, as a metaphor. Whatever the issue is in your life, you just hide it. And he, he backs up. But when you bring it to him and you lay it down and say, you know what, Lord, this is an error in my life. This is a problem in my heart. It's, 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 can you help me with it? Then it might be in the category of something he can help you, but he's never going to force you. He deals with us, though, and He leads us and guides us. And I was thinking, this is another scripture that I thought while I was lying there. All this meditation actually took me into about 4.30 in the morning. Philippians chapter 2.12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. This is interesting. He has a purpose. It's good. He has the best idea always. How many of you agree? God's idea is always the best idea. He, he tolerates our ideas. He lets us do what we want to do. But He always has a better idea. Once again, though, He comes like Jethro to Moses. Look, you do what you want to do, but you know what would be a good idea? And he suggests without forcing, he does, how does he do it? He says, he who works in you to will. In other words, from the inside, instigating, motivating you internally to start thinking about it more and more. That is so 
gentle. No human could ever be that patient. No relationship you will ever enter into with a human will you find someone patient enough to, to gently wait for years. Now they just cut you off. Or they force you. By what? By strength, power, and manipulation. By threats. If you don't do this, then I will do this. And exploit and manipulate. And but That's just our nature. That's the way we are. That's the way man is. But he's not like that. Never is he like that. It goes on and, and he says, uh, do everything without grumbling or arguing. In other words, everything he's, what he's doing, don't, don't grumble and argue with him. If he's stirring something in your heart, just do it. No grumbling, no arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Everyone's warped and crooked, but you have an opportunity if you yield to this internal motivation that Jesus, the Spirit of God, is doing in you, you can be blameless and pure, children of God. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the Word of life. So the Lord works on us, not by forcing us, but by gently suggesting. I mean, you have avoided God because of this issue. Uh, let's be honest. Just Netflix is better. <laughs> just chain watch some season of some. Just do something to to quash that voice that keeps suggesting. Well, you know, it's like you got you got to block it. You got to do something. Something you got to fill it. You got to fill it because he's not going to stop. Why? Because he loves you that much. He will continue, continue. Don't argue. Man forces us to do a lot of things by threatening but he will never do that. And this last one uh, is really interesting to me. Number seven, he told me, I will never use you as a resource. And those who fear the Lord, Malachi 3.16, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. Those who fear the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Let's start with that. That's interesting. I speak to you, you speak to me. We talk about how great he is. We're doing it right now. But it's not quite a dialogue. It's me ranting on for an hour. So in that case, though, you do give me an amen. You're giving me a nod every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So we're having that kind of dialogue. You're feeding back and a scroll of remembrance that means something's being written in eternity in his presence concerning us for honoring his name because we come together and exalt him he's writing this down because he loves us on the day when i act says the lord almighty they will be my treasured possession doesn't say they will be my possession because there's a difference you can possess resources and you can possess treasures and the Lord began to speak to me. And I looked up the, the words for this. A resource is simply a stock or supply of money, materials, or other assets that can be drawn upon until consumed. But what happens if you have a bag of sugar, for instance. I love sugar. I'm, I love sugar and I love it in my coffee. I love fresh dark roast arabica beans freshly ground in a pot of coffee in the morning. It's delightful. The aroma, but I cannot just drink it black. I'm guilty. I put sugar in it. 
And, and it's funny, we'll get a bag of sugar, you'll open the bag and you'll take some out and sometimes you have left. What happens when the sugar is depleted and that resource is exhausted? You throw that bag away. It's done with. Because it's a resource, that's what you're supposed to do. But that's not what you do with a treasure. Treasure, you don't consume at all. A treasure, you, you, you preserve, protect, guard, and keep because you want it forever. That's the way he sees us. We're his treasure. Jesus sees us not as a usable commodity. We are not uh, an asset he acquires so that he can burn us up and use us, but so that he can preserve us and keep us forever with him as a treasure. But man doesn't do that. Very common amongst men to find someone, and as long as they are a resource, as long as something's coming out of that relationship, they maintain that relationship. It's more about what can I get out of this individual, but when that runs out somehow, or maybe their usefulness wanes, they're not quite as useful as they used to be, we have a tendency, I'm speaking from a perspective of guilt, I have a tendency to kind of move along to see who else can help me in my quest for betterment of self and for my service to the Lord and what I'm doing for God and the work of the kingdom. I mean, I'm putting those air quotes up there, meaning maybe it's not all that I think it is sometimes. Not if I'm not emulating the nature of Christ and in fact in, in using up resource, people like resources and then moving through them. This is a hard thing to hear. I'm laying in my bed hearing this and the Lord speaking to me and I'm thinking, I think I've done this. I think there's moments in my life that I've used people up. And when, when, when the bag was empty, I looked for another bag. Jesus will never, mm -hmm. never do that to you. He will never do that to you. You are His treasure. He will exalt you and hold you in a high place. And He will put you and preserve you forever. It does not mean He's not going to use you. He's going to use you, but He's not going to use you up. He's going to utilize you. And you will be a work implement. But you're going to be more like the work implement of a Japanese artisan. That will spend three hours in their morning just preparing their tools because they value them. They have tools that they use, knives and implements they've used for hundreds of years. They're so well, they're treasures in their family, but they're still tools. But they value them. And that's how Jesus sees us. Because we are being preserved. Why? So that we can sit on a shelf? No, it says we, are, we forever will serve Him day and night in His temple. So we are tools that will be used. We have positions, but not just to be consumed as a resource, but to be treasured forever with Him. He said it to us. We're not just servants. He says, formerly I called you servants, but I, I'm going to move on and I'm going to call you I'm gonna call you now my family. My family. Not just a resource, someone that I can employ and use, and when you don't do the right things at the right times, you're fired. No, He will never fire you. Even when you mess up everything, even when you make mistakes, because you are not a resource, you are treasure. These are the things that, that he spoke to me. Jesus does not expose us. Jesus does not condemn us. Jesus does not leave us alone. Jesus does not put himself first. We have to do it. Jesus does not look for your weaknesses. He overlooks them. 
Jesus does not force you to do anything. He suggests. He's hoping. Same passage, how I've longed to gather you under like a hen, like little chicks. Long, but you're just not willing. He will never push you into anything. And he will never, Jesus will never use you as a resource. Because you're his treasure. And I woke up the next morning. Gosh, I just uh, reviewed these. I thought about it. And I thought, wow, that's deep. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're not quite awake. You know, you just write things down. It came fast. That's how I knew it was him. Because when he speaks, he speaks fast. I don't know how many conversations you have with the Lord that are lingering. Yeah, I've never heard God say, so, how are you doing? Ha. It's always, okay, look, i got something to say. And go look at conversations in the Bible. Wherever God shows up and talks to man, it's business. He just comes right out, says it. When he does, listen to him. Because he'll tell you things like this that just really make you look back, retrospect. Look at my life. Another year gone, 51 years. I'm now 51 years old today. Thank you for your uh, wishes. Those of you, also people, uh, there was some that contributed and put together from uh, the Chinese church and some that are even in this room for this beautiful new iPad Pro with the keypad and the Apple Pencil. And I say thank you. Thank you so much. You know, what it tells me is that I'm not a resource. Not to you. And I'm grateful. And I don't see you as a resource either. And I mean, I, I want to send people to the field. I want to see people be missionaries. I want to see the work done. But I value you as a treasure above that. I want to see you in eternity. I want to walk the Golden Street with you. And I want to share my mansion with you. And I want to go to your mansion. And I want us to have a relationship that goes on forever. And if, and if I've done wrong to anyone ever in any respect, I, I, I'm sure I have. If you put me on a pedestal, I've jumped off that pedestal a dozen times already. So don't do that. Please don't put me on a pedestal. We have great things to do, things that are coming, and we're learning as we go. It's a process. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.